Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 84, recorded on Wednesday, September 13th, 2017. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me, as always, is David Estrella. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. I know you guys are glad to be back. I already did that. You know, redundancy is good, Evan. You got to cover your bases because sometimes people start the podcast and then you got the intro track kind of drowning you out a little bit. Not to knock your editing, not not to knock you or anything. We, we have a lot of stuff that we've been up to, kind of pare it down to a couple things to chat about and actually some, some news to talk about this episode in anime, manga, game stuff. This is new news, but this won't be as new as when we published the podcast. Oh, you, you mean that by the time the episode comes out, it'll be out of date because I take too long to release it? Nice. Yeah, cool. Some of these games might actually be out by the time we uh, release this podcast. So we are talking about the Nintendo Direct that happened today that I completely missed out on because I was kind of nose down working on work stuff during yeah, the Grinded for the man. Well, yeah, the man, the, the nice man who gives you a free library online. <laughs> <laughs> So the Nintendo Direct, you kept up with it a little more than I did, right, David? Well, I just got flashed by Mario's nipples, and that was like as much content from the Direct that I really wanted to see. All right, so there's all there's like games that they showed and stuff like that. They showed his nipples. We really got to talk about the nipples. I don't know anything about this. I wasn't paying attention. So tell me about Mario's nipples. Okay, so they're rendering they're rendering Mario with like actual nipples, and this is kind of insane. Because, like, if you think about it, has Mario ever been rendered with his nipples showing? Somebody knows. Like, somebody was paying really close attention. They were like, finally! Because, okay, like, Mario's only been shirtless as a baby in Yoshi's Island. David is the guy who knows. <laughs> and now, like, 30, 30 years later, he's shirtless again. You know, as the grown man that we all know him as. And, like, instead of, like, the cartoony, like, just flat skin tone, he's got little little nipples very anatomically correct placed nipples too. So I haven't seen them yet. So what I'm going to do is something I, I don't recommend anybody else does, which is uh, Google Mario's nipples. <laughs> uh, let's, let's see what happens here. Well, I found one with a black bar over it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Oh, it is just perfectly round, kind of just flat. Like, Nipples. Yeah. They're like chocolate coins. It bothers me a little bit. Yeah. I'm a little <laughs> bit disturbed. I can't put quite place why, but yeah. Also, he's completely hairless too. It, it, he is, and it's it's the mustache it's is what so throws me eerie. off there. It's like you expect a kind of hairy chest, right? So like or something. Now it's like all these questions about like Mario's uh shaving habits because he 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 keeps the mustache. Yeah. He only keeps the mustache. The mustache is the brand. The mustache and the hat, but I guess the hat is like running away from him now because it's a magic hat with eyes. It's uh, it's maybe more Mario than I really cared to know uh, in my lifetime. Well, the Mario lore is deep, and and uh, (laughs) there's a lot going on. Did did you know there was a there was a post somewhere along this uh, this whole crazy thing going on, and somebody remembered that Mario had a tribal tattoo back in like the mid 2000s well i mean i mean everybody had a tribal tattoo back in the mid 2000s okay for for the for the for the release of the game boy advance sp tribal edition he's like clearly flaunting you know the the tribal tattoo that he's got to celebrate this uh, game boy that's coming out 
I'm gonna Google that one too, by the way. But but in but in this game, he doesn't have the tattoo anymore. Oh. They retconned it out. I can't believe it. He does have a tribal tattoo. <laughs> Nobody knew because like he showed it once and then just kept it hidden under his sleeve the whole time. That's incredible. Uh, okay, so we've learned a lot about Mario thanks to Mario Odyssey. Uh, Didn't really every- learn anything new about the game. It was just this one thing right uh, yeah I, I guess maybe there was news about the game but but david wasn't paying attention to that and i wasn't <laughs> watching the nintendo directs <laughs> so i was going through the site the just to, like looking at what got announced and uh it's uh seems like not a ton of really big stuff a lot of it is is showing off and promoting some of the games that they've already talked about like mario odyssey but uh there's a new like kirby game right i'm probably there's other things that probably people care about that I don't care about. The Kirby game, though, I want to say. So I was like, um, like I need to play a game on my 3DS because I haven't touched it in a while. And I'm like, oh, cool, a Kirby game on 3DS. What is this one? And it's the worst. I didn't realize what this thing was. It's called Battle Royale. And it's, it's like Kirby's fighting each other. So it's like all the Kirby's get thrown into an island. That's I was going to do that, right? that joke. Yeah, <laughs> They'll get put on an island and get given a different Kirby ability. They, they each get to eat a different enemy. <laughs> <laughs> One of them gets to eat uh, Takeshi Kitano. <laughs> oh, so that's actually, that actually sounds like a really good Kirby game. That though. would actually be really good. They I mean, it's actual basic- Kirby battle royale. <laughs> it's basically just, uh, what is it? What What's that game called? PUBG or something like that. I don't know what you're talking about. PUBG, that, the, that that player under un, unknowns oh, oh, under oh. underground battle player unknown battlegrounds. It is Bros, PUBG. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know what those letters stand for, but that I mean, it's basically just a bunch of dudes that have to kill each other, right? It's true. Yeah, true. I mean, that's basically every game. It's every game. Like, I was gonna say <laughs> some some lean a lot closer to to battle royale, and I think that one's probably. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't own right. that game. I've never played it in my life, but back to kirby battle royale so okay so it's the perfect setup right because kirby's got all these different abilities uh-huh. some of them are really shitty and some of them are really good uh-huh right and after like what is it like three days they're all their collars blow up oh yeah it's, it's something yeah. like that but you but there's no collar because you can't put a collar around kirby because yeah, he don't got a neck there's no <laughs> neck <laughs> you can attach it to his feet i guess well, well, the thing is though, because like Splatoon, Splatoon brought like shooters onto Nintendo consoles, but yeah. what the kids are playing these days is that PUBG. I don't know if that's true that that's what the kids are playing these days. So, so we got to bring PUBG to the to the Nintendo. We'll make it. We'll just make it a Kirby game. So what this game is is it's like a Coliseum thing where you're you're running around using your powers to like just try to knock down the health of the other Kirby's playing against other players or something. And it's like, Oh cool. It's like none of the things that people like about Kirby. <laughs> like, I can't absolutely believe you, none of it. I can't believe after all that, you actually described what the game was going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I mean, it's not to say you can't like reinvent it. Cause of course they do that all the time. And I really liked, uh, I think on a previous podcast, I, I struggled to remember the name of the Kirby game that I really liked on DS. I think it was canvas curse. Like that game and reinvented Kirby. But I feel like it still had a lot of the important elements of it, which is going progressing through a level, a platforming level and picking up powers as you go. 
It's just in that case, it was more like Sonic style almost, right? Where you're like a ball the whole time and you're rolling and stuff. No, I'm ready for a Kirby Underground Battleground. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Player unknown Kirby Grounds. <laughs> I can't get that title right. Isn't there? There is a Kirby game coming out on Switch, though, I think. So that, that'll probably be a more classic style Kirby hmm. game. Yeah, if we can't if we can't get the crazy violent Kirby, we'll just do traditional Kirby. That's right. That's fine. It's all right. So I don't know anything about this Octopath Traveler. Octopath thing. Traveler. I looked at it for like one minute, and I already know I'm gonna buy it. All right. So tell me about it. I didn't look at the trailer for it. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it looks like a very traditional RPG, which is what I'm super thirsty for on the Switch. But it looks gorgeous. It's made in like this super high definition 2D, but it kind of got like it has like this Paper Mario thing where like you can like there's like a ton of depth. Hmm. It's like it's it just looks you you just have to see it. I can't really like explain it very well. I think I saw it on the list here, but did I, you see it? I didn't actually like look at the trailer. Yeah, honestly, with a name like Octopath Traveler, I thought like, oh, this is probably the bravely default guys because only they could make up a name like this. But no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced unless like the mechanics kind of suck, which is, you know, it's up in the air. Sometimes the mechanics on these sort of games are not too good, but what else am I going to play on the switch? I don't know if I really care about that uh, Xenoblade Chronicles stuff because there's been like two other games and I haven't played them because I can't afford them because GameStop will like buy up all the stock and just sell it for like $90. I don't know, there, there's like just a big resell drama with anything that's a uh, Xenoblade. So if I'm going to play so, an RPG, I'm probably going to play Octopath Traveler. Yeah, I just I just skimmed through the trailer and that looks pretty wild. That is a really yeah. cool visual style. Yeah. So it's basically it's it's a bunch of 2D sprites. It looks like, but they're laid out in 3D as these different layers. But there's also a depth of field effect. So yeah. they've got like blur on the stuff in the front and then like not on the stuff in the back. That's uh, it's taking me back to I City. <laughs> I mean, it's it looks super cool the the visual style at least, and all the characters are these little like kind of you know retro looking RPG sprites. Who's making it? I have no idea. <laughs> huh. It's probably like I don't know. Maybe maybe Nintendo's publishing it. I don't know. You know, they'd be they'd be dumb not to publish it themselves or to like keep it only in Japan. I hope this is like not going to be a thing where like it's only released in Japan. But the trailer is in English. Yeah, it's so they're they're gotta, releasing it in the US, suspect. dude. Yeah. <laughs> they, they wouldn't gotta. have shown it off. They gotta. I'm just I still feel like I live in the nineties. Just, you know, most of these RPGs don't come out. What isn't coming out though is uh Fantasy Star Online 2 for the Switch in America. It's not coming that's out. That's definitely not that's not coming out. Oh. Yeah. Only for Japan. Well, you can tide yourself over with a 3DS Mario Party game that has the top 100 mini games. <sighs> it's like if you took a BuzzFeed article and made a Nintendo game out of it. <laughs> it's BuzzFeed oh. the game. Why do they keep making Mario Party? Uh, Mario Party is bad. I want everyone to hear me loud and clear on this podcast when I tell you that Mario Party is not a good video game. When was the last time anybody had a Mario Party? That's true. To be honest, write right in podcast at anygamers.com. Let me know when was the last time you actually Mario partied. Luigi and, and Daisy 
are are just sort of like standing on a balcony in their in like their apartment, just looking out wistfully across the city, and they're like, you know, I feel like we never Mario Party anymore. <laughs> we used to Mario Party all the time, but now we're now we're uh, we're thirty years old. We don't wear shirts anymore. We have we all have nipples. That's spooky. Yeah, if yeah. Mario's got nipples, then. They've all got nipples. Like I got by extension, everybody's got nipples. Bowser has nipples. Okay, so there's also some anime news. Just completely changing gears from uh, from the video game stuff. Tell me about the anime. The big news that I care about is they uh, announced the staff and showed off some trailers for Darling in the Frank. Darling and Darling in the Franks. You know what this thing is. It's uh, it's the new trigger thing, right? It's one of the new trigger things, yeah. Oh, so, one of? Oh yeah, Trigger's got three shows. They announced them at uh, at AX. What? Yeah. Can they even afford to like do three shows? Well, one of them's by Amemia, so maybe not. Okay, maybe so it's not a real show. <laughs> <laughs> they announced three at AX. This is kind of old news, so but some people might not have caught it. So they announced them in order of how important they are. Sorry. Sorry to oh, no. sorry sorry to the people, the very nice people who are working on these shows. But uh, the first one is Darling in the Franks, which is an A one Pictures collaboration, which is how you know that it's like oh hmm, maybe maybe not, right? And that was my initial response was like oh A one this is gonna be like he's naiver it's like kind of work for hire probably paying the bills right some kind of crowd pleaser yeah, thing also music singles right that sort of thing yeah then Gridman. I don't know if they mentioned it was going to be a TV series or or like something else, but it's riffing off of the Gridman short that Amemia, the Inferno Cop director, did for Animator Expo. It's like a tokusatsu thing, but in anime form. So that is kind of like clear trigger pet project. Like, let's give Amemia a wacky thing to work on. And he's a giant Gridman fan, so that'll probably be super cool because that's right up his alley. And then the real one the big deal one that is worth being incredibly excited about is Promare, which is, as you probably would have expected, directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi, Kill la Kill, and Gurren Lagann director, written by the same writer as both of those shows, Kazuki Nakashima, and presumably is all the Trigger A-list people, the whole A-team of Trigger staff working on that, because it's, it's the big Imaishi show. So... Anyway, Darling in the Franks, I was sort of writing off as being another Keys Naiver, which it might still be, frankly. But the staff is actually great. When I saw the first trailer for it, I was like, what the heck? The director is Atsushi Nishigori, who directed... Oh, okay. Okay, so you, how, wait, right. why are you familiar with Nishigori? What do you know Nishigori for? Idol Master. That's what I thought, yeah. He's the director <laughs> of Idol Master. He did that at A1, which is cool, though, because Nishigori is part of the sort of trigger crew yeah but he didn't move to trigger with them he worked with them on Gurren Lagann and Panty and Stocking he was the character designer for both shows and is like you know really tight with those guys but he went to like worked at A1 and stuff so I don't know if he's freelance he might be I don't know if he's like A1 staff or freelance or something but anyway he's part of that crew I think he's technically part of uh of Geek Fleet they're they have like a name for their their collective of of wacky you know people in the trigger orbit. So I think Nishigori was part of that. So it's like Nishigori's back working with them again, which is really cool. And then Masayoshi Tanaka is the 
character designer. That's the character designer for Anohana and one of the character designers or, or animation directors, I think, for uh, for your name. So he's a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and then mechanical designs are by my boy Shigato Koyama, who did character designs for uh, and mechanical designs for a bunch of stuff. He worked on Kill La Kill. He did Hero Man, the character design that they've shown off for the kind of robot looking thing. Or the, it's kind of a mechanical slash character design. It's an anthropomorphic looking robot. Is very very hero man looking. It totally looks like Koyama's style, and he's also part of the part of the whole uh, geek fleet thing. And then action supervisor is Hiroyuki Imaishi. Imaishi's oh, okay. actually here working on Darling in the Franks. So. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Yeah, are these going to run at the same time or that I'm not sure a about staggered release? Are we even going to see a release? Because I mean, this could just go to Netflix. It might just go to Netflix. It's good knowing you. Yeah, but uh, I'm pretty excited for it now. <laughs> like, they, they got me. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe. And then I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, Nishigori, Koyama, and uh, Imaishi. That's like a significant right. portion of Geek Fleet working on it. So All right, there's a, there's a good probability that maybe one of these shows will be good. I mean, maybe. Gridman and Premier will probably be good. But... Darling in the Franks, I was not sure about. Now I am more sure about it. So that's a cool thing. There's some trailers. We'll link to those. You can watch them. They're pretty much just teaser trailers with, you know, stills of characters and stuff uh, who very much look like Tanaka designs. So for better or for worse, I don't know if you like the Anohana designs. I sort of like Tanaka's art style. I thought he did a good oh. job on, uh, like, your name and stuff. You know, as long as it's not with the anything to do with the script. Right, it's not Mario Kata. So. <laughs> Who has previously worked with Trigger before, and I didn't watch that show. It was very boring. Nothing happened. Yeah. It was it was like so little happened that you start to wonder whether there's something you're missing. Like, did something happen and I wasn't paying attention? Because really just nothing happened in the show. Did like a, a lot of nothing happen, but like extremely loudly yeah, people just shouted about their emotions, yeah. but nothing actually really yeah. happened. Nothing moved or changed. Yeah, people will tell us that we're wrong, but no. That show was not super popular, so I don't think we're going to get a ton of Keys ah. Naive or Defenders. I don't but... know, we got a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, it's true. Listening in. Let's just keep making fun of our listeners so that they will continue <laughs> to listen to us. It's called Negging Folks. <laughs> more content doming you guys that's right so david what up? i've been watching some anime i, I can't believe it regrettably <laughs> unusual i spent some time watching anime uh i've been watching been watching recreators and uh i'm feeling you get paid for it kind of okay about it i'm not actually it was kind of actually a, a reverse thing where it was like i interviewed a aoki and i had watched a little bit of recreators and i was like oh, okay well now i should probably just go Watch it. I'm a fan of Aoki. I have to ask every time. Every time I ask you, I have to like just kind of be like, "Hey, are you getting paid for this sort of thing?" Because otherwise, I cannot see you voluntarily watching anything that's seasonal. <laughs> I mean, I want to be watching more seasonal stuff, but I don't always make the time for it. But anyway, yeah. Recreators yeah. is directed by A. Aoki, who is a director who I'm a really big fan of. He did Fate Zero, Garay Zero, Aldnoa Zero. 
That's mm-hmm. a complete coincidence, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know why. I asked him at one point at a, a panel why all of his shows are named Zero. Not all of them, but some number of them. He also did Girls Bravo, I think, which Ink likes to bring up all the time. Because, uh, I don't know. Has he, he actually gotten the chance to like get his Girls Bravo signed? He asked him a question about Girls Bravo when we interviewed him a while ah. back. <laughs> and uh, also did Wandering Sun. And he's like a really good... He's a director who I've, I've tried to kind of figure out the best way to describe his style. He's very kind of inspired by film, particularly Hollywood film. I think he, he has a a more filmic way of directing com- compared to a lot of other directors. His sensibilities kind of skew Western, I think, with a lot of the uh, like kind of like big popular films, like yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, like the the pacing too of his his work, and actually we just published our interview with him that I did at Otakon and, and he actually pinpoints some of those things that I couldn't put my finger on that made it his pacing feel more Western. Like the, this is probably not uniquely Western, but it's something you do see a lot of, in a lot of Hollywood movies is like the uh, cross cutting between multiple climaxes at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's like, that's TV. It's like watching game of Thrones right there. Right. Right. But it is like, I don't know. I, I feel like at least the way that he does it feels different from some other directors. Anyway, I don't want to ramble too much about his his directing <laughs> style. <laughs> but Recreators is based on... It's like him directing a story from uh, Ray Hidoe, who did Black Lagoon. And the story is nothing like what you'd expect the guy who made Black Lagoon to be writing. Uh, it's also, frankly, it's nothing you would expect Aoki to be directing. So it's a very weird... It's a weird mix. It's what if characters from otaku shit were real? And then one high school dweeb hung out with them a bunch. Uh-oh. Right? Uh-oh. <laughs> so you're like, oh, no. <laughs> this sucks. The thing is, it's it sucks less than you expect it would, but not enough, I don't think. So because it's Aoki, or maybe vice versa, maybe they got Aoki to do it because this is what the story is. It's not actually just hanging out. It's actually mostly not hanging out with the characters, which is how this thing would usually go is it would just be this fantasy of like, what if I got to hang out with them all the time and go on dates with them? Though I'm sure there's a date episode that I just haven't gotten to yet because I'm still catching up. There's got to be a date episode. It has to be. Yeah. But like it actually is an action show or like, you know, sort of drama action show. So it's actually most akin to like Fate Zero, where it's about these heroes fighting each other, but also kind of maneuvering around each other. And also like Fate Zero, it takes like an entire 13 episodes to really actually start the conflict. <laughs> this is kind of, this kind of explains something that I saw. Like the only thing that I know about recreators is that somebody said, this is the best Fate anime of the summer. Which is very telling because Apocrypha, from what I know, is not very good. Yeah, it is It is very similar to Fate. Like, it actually, it's so similar that I wonder how much it's it's cribbing directly <laughs> from Fate. Because it's, it's not just the obvious thing of, like, summoning these heroes from another plane of existence or whatever. It's also got the the fact that the characters have to figure out who like where the heroes are from in order to 
help them figure out how to beat them and stuff like that or how to how to make their powers stronger or whatever so it's all like that same kind of game of trying to figure out their identity it's not quite as important as it is in fate right like in fate there's a lot more work the characters put into figuring that out but it is a a recurring element of it is like we have to figure out where this character is from and who their creator is so we can track the creator down and use that to beat them right there's a certain i mean it it has a certain interesting idea to it like it actually does play around with the idea of bringing these characters to the real world in a a fairly like plausible way that i I actually do kind of like similar to the way that fate does that when fate is done well right it actually addresses the fact that these characters are out of they're sort of out of time and place and put in this mm-hmm. new situation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of got some of that, like it, it plays around with these characters dealing with being in a world where like realizing that they're not real, basically that they're like this simulation. They're a story that someone made, but they still, from their perspective, they're like, well, my world is still there and all my friends are there. And like, I still want to save them but I just discovered that none of it's real. That it's all just a story, right? <laughs> it's the sort of simulation paradox or whatever. Yeah, so is it like playing on like what's real, what's fantasy, that sort of thing? Because you are watching a show. Right. So I wonder like how many, on how many layers of meta are we It gonna, doesn't do a ton of meta. There's not a ton of, of like uh, commenting on that. But like, when are we going to get the episode when there's just like recordings of the guys in production actually just making the episode? Oh, you know, it, it does have a recap episode where one of the characters uh, breaks the fourth wall and talks to the viewers. And it's pretty oh. good because she's like the uh, she's kind of the main female character. She's a she's Ray Ayanami, but with a little bit of a sense of humor. <laughs> you, know, you know how this goes in anime. Everybody's I, every every female character is either Ray or Asuka. So. She's Ray, and then the other female character is Asuka. Uh, I'm not even kidding. It's like, you know, gray hair, red hair. <laughs> and uh, short gray hair and long red hair. It's literally course, Ray Asuka. That, you yeah. know, that was understood. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, she's she's sort of portrayed as being the sort of, you know, she's sort of reserved and nerdy and whatever. And like one of the jokes that it does is she's recapping the show. And then when she shows you a scene with her in it, she will like talk about how cool she is and how sexy she is and it'll be a redesigned version of her character and then she'll kind of be like all right all right i'll tell you the real version and there's her like you know without the sexy costume and stuff oh that sounds like a really good recap episode it actually is one of the better recap episodes i've ever seen and she she had makes some jokes about like uh the show is not actually being like it's we're not low on budget or anything we planned for this (laughs) recap episode from the beginning (laughs) (laughs) So that stuff is actually pretty fun. And I, I don't know, there's there's like a... It does a good job of playing around with your expectations of the characters. It doesn't do as much as I would have preferred it, it do because it's just dealing in a lot of archetypes. But it, it sometimes turns the archetypes on their head. Like one of the characters from a story who's on the good guy's side is the final boss. He's like the villain from a video game. And then like two of the characters on the bad guy's side are these like clearly they're they're the heroes of their story and they're like good people in their stories but they've chosen to side with the bad guy in the the fight that's going on right because they they think that that's the the good side so it it does an interesting thing of being like it literally is everyone's the hero of their own story this is totally fate (laughs) this is yeah right right fate yeah to a t right there that's true yeah yeah fate is very similar to that right where where 
it tries to portray and, all the heroes as, or most of them as being just the hero of their own story. Yeah, Some of them are because like, you've got like the caster the and fate zero is just kind of evil, but. <laughs> Yeah, you've got like the ambiguously evil characters, and then you've got just the outright evil redesign of that same character, just in mm-hmm. case, you know, you didn't know. Yeah, and I mean, they have that too. They've got a great character, like the, most of them are archetypes, but there's one character who is actually different enough and interesting enough that she really stands out. She's like a, she's the wild card. It's, there's sort of the two oh, sides, right? And then there's, the there's this character who's not really on either side, and she's like, she's a villain from her story and one of the one of the things that she totally plays around with like like they play around with with her she's like oh man i'm in a world where the hero isn't here anymore right she's like oh i can do anything i want right uh and she's like this super manipulative like she she's like a compulsive liar she is not really interested in in beating either side of the the battle that's going on she just kind of wants to see them fight and she's got this like wacky looking kind of fox looking design, but she's basically just a high school girl, but with like this, you know, whatever. She's got like saw teeth and stuff. She's not like drawn at all like a cute girl, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> she's she's kind of uh she's kind of interesting. She's like probably the most compelling and unique character of the show. Everybody else is just like, oh yeah, I've seen them before. They're just like, oh, it's the the sixteen year old boy robot pilot, right? Like it's uh it's a combination of Saber from Fate and uh, and what's her name? The girl from Claymore or whatever, right? <laughs> They're all like some combination of characters that you've seen before. I'm, actually I'm almost uh, convinced to like check it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you like Fate, so this it might be up your alley. Yeah. Uh, the the Aoki style is not very present in it, though. Like it's it's it would be you'd be hard pressed to recognize it as an Aoki show unless someone told you. Hmm. There's a couple scenes where you're like, oh, there's the Aoki, but it doesn't really show up that much. You've also been, you've been watching an old show. Been watching an old show, an oldie but a goodie. Been watching mm. Kogias. Overall, Kogias is good. I finished, I finished season one last night. Oh man, Kogias. I, I really love this show, Evan. Even still to this day. I still love it. I'm a Code Geass sympathizer, but I, I recognize its flaws. Okay, so like I can't speak for the second season just yet because I'm on my rewatch of that. But my rewatch of season one, it's just Code Geass for as f- far as it reaches. It just feels very pitch perfect from like episode one to the end. Ah, uh, up until like that. Uh, up until that. Uh, <laughs> that cliffhanger ending i don't know there there's a twist there's a twist in the middle that i th- always thought was really stupid and i haven't gone back and rewatched it i don't want to spoil this, it even though it's been over, it, like 10 years or whatever I feel, but i feel like we should just go ahead and just all right spoil it. gotta do a warning though we're gonna spoil code geass i might Which also is 11 spoil years old yeah i might also okay, spoil yeah. akito the exiled uh because i'm gonna talk about that because i just watched that but that's the code geass like spinoff thing so it's the Euphemia thing. The Euphemia thing. It's oh a really dumb twist. It's like his his Gias <sighs> malfunctions at exactly the wrong time, right? Well, of course it's gonna malfunction at the right time because it's it's supposed to be theatrical. That's the whole deal right. with the show. It's you just know, not it's very a... plausible, right? Like like it's it's just too much stuff happens as a result of that, and and I don't want to go too 
in the weeds here. We actually did an entire episode about Code Geass many years ago. It's episode 30, I think. Uh, one of the most popular episodes of the show, actually. So you should go back and listen to it. But anyway, it does it. So it holds up, though. You're liking it on a rewatch. Oh, I love it. It is. Pro- it's probably better than when I first watched it, because now I've got like that whole like, you know, nostalgia thing going on right now for this show. It, I think it's like now been sufficiently long enough where like it takes me back to clearly, obviously much better times. <laughs> <laughs> They don't make shows like this anymore, which is yeah, they, kind of a shame. Like nobody, everybody just feels very flat compared to what they accomplished. Well, there's with there's a lack of ambition, not in everything. Obviously, shows there are shows that have a lot of ambition and, and really kind of go all out the way that Code Geass did. But it's just it's easy to it's easy to get lost in this sea of things that are that are not really trying that hard, right? And then you look at something like Code Geass and you're like, whoa, they screwed up a bunch, but man, they tried. Yeah. Like they, they, oh there's a lot of, and I'm, we're talking very broadly here, but I mean, more specifically, it's a show that is, it's about terrorism and colonialism. It's about and, revolution. Right? Right? Like, it's about it's, repression of it, information. It's, it's about tyrants trampling the weak, the oppressed. Right. It's, it's also about, like, your secret identity involves you wearing a helmet and the cat stole the helmet and is running around the school. So we're not trying to say that it's pizza. Right, we're not trying to say it's the smartest show ever made. But, like, it's got these ideas and it's trying to do something with them and it's, like, it's ambitious, right? I think even the people who hate it yeah. would admit that it's, at the very least, ambitious, right? Like, even, like, like on, like, this repeat, even even the dumb stuff just feels, I don't know, appropriate? Like, it just... It feels right because there's like, it's just applying all these different kind of like pressure and just like, you know, ramping up the tension. And then suddenly you've got the school festival episode. But that so bad. <laughs> is that one comes right before the Euphemia episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember so exactly just, it, the timing. No, it's just, it's because I, I watched it. Like I rewatched it and my rewatch came like very quickly, like. You know, it wasn't like before, like the first time I watched it, like I binged like the whole thing in like a couple of days and then we were done. But this time like, I kind of like took my time with it and just kind of absorbed like every little detail, you know. And I think going back to it now, maybe like now I think, you know, because like the whole revolution thing is what really strikes a lot of people first. But mm-hmm. what I was looking at now was just all like just this net of relationships between everybody like on these different sides Mm -hmm. and just these second like personalities that you have to put out. I mean, it's actually, I, I I would argue that maybe full metal alchemist brotherhood does it better, but I think there's some similarities there in terms of trying to actually be a political epic of like, like a large scale network of political relationships between characters, right. And, and characters backstabbing each other and like teaming up in different ways and yeah, it's like it was similar when I was watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood that I was it was refreshing to be like, oh, there's ambition here. There's like there's a real <laughs> attempt to weave together a large scale narrative that touches on a whole bunch of really big ideas, right? And I, yeah, I think Code yeah. Geass does it pretty well in a lot of points. It it yeah. doesn't do it well all the time, but like I, there there are there are ideas in there that I always found incredibly compelling, like the just kind of the balance that Lelouch the main character has to strike between being this revolutionary and having his own kind of personal goals and like over the course of both seasons how he sort of 
he ends up making a choice for revolution at the expense of kind of his own personal, not even just his own personal like life or whatever, but, but even just like his, his initial goals, right. He kind of, yeah. He has to like well, his whole yeah. goal is to help his sister and he has to sort of trample on his own sister to achieve what he ends up seeing as being like the ultimate goal of all of it, well, right? That, like yeah, that, I mean that's that's the journey between like the ideal and the you know like the an actual tangible thing or person that you're after and just this journey is just kind of chipping away at the sort of person that he is until there's just you know there's just a, a utility left. Yeah, at the end, it, he's just well, it is, he's just a tool. It is very much about politics. Again, that's really I think what we're kind of getting at is that stuff isn't like there isn't enough anime that's actually political. Like it's explicitly about those like trade-offs of of being an idealist and having an idea of how you think the world should work and then getting your hands dirty and trying to do it, right? I mean like what what do you have Gundam? Gundam is definitely political, and that's why I like Gundam. Gundam. But then yeah. it's always like it's always comes back to the robots. Not always. What I liked about Cold Geass is that it's almost never about the robots. It's a good show in spite of all the robots that are everywhere. And not only that, like at least with season one, it's not like these robots that can just do anything. They can fly. They can spam their lasers. They got all sorts of insane powers. No, they're like all stuck to the ground for the most part. Like, yeah, they've got that eventually. Yeah, like wield thing. Eventually, yeah, like one of the robots knows how to fly, but then again, it's like it can't fly very quickly. So there's this limitation. <laughs> you you are uh, misremembering season two then, because get ready. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I know. I know season two gets a little bit too Gundam Double O for my taste, but um, no season season one. I will say is pretty close to perfect. In terms of I, what I'm looking for in a show, I always really liked it, uh, but I I definitely have issues with it. Uh, what I did watch though, <clears throat> I haven't gone back and rewatched the original, but I watched Akito the Exiled, the OVA spinoff for Otaku USA for a review. So I won't go into it in too much detail because please buy the magazine when it comes out <laughs> and read my article about it. But I will say, uh, Akito the Exiled is very bad. Oh, like, I mean, it's not, it's, it, it's it. not just like the, you know, production values are nice and whatever. It's like, it, it's a story that, that is not indecipherable. So I, mean, I don't want, I don't want to say it's completely awful, but compared to code Geass, like when, by putting the name code Geass on it, it, it makes it look worse because <laughs> you're comparing it to the original series. Is it the same director? Like, no. Oh, it, there you go. Yeah. It's Kazuki Akane who worked on like Escaflone. It's not a uh, Goro Taniguchi, the original director. Yeah, there you go. So that's what happened. It takes place in Europia, so it's like in Europe, in between the events of seasons one and two of the original Code Geass. And you would expect that it either, well, you'd probably just expect that it bridges the gap and that it probably incorporates because Suzaku is in Europe during that time. I think right in in the series, I think it's implied in the original series, and Suzaku is in it. Lelouch is also in it. But they're not the main focus, and they also basically never intersect with the main focus of it. So you've just got two different stories going on. <laughs> like, because they needed to please people by having Suzaku and Lelouch in it, but they didn't actually want to make the story about them. It's Instead, it's about, like, Japanese soldiers fighting for Europe against the Britannian Empire, which is trying to take over Europe. And there's basically no politics. It's a robot show. Ugh. 
It's like, what if you took Code Geass and ah. you just made it a robot show? Oh, okay. Now I don't have to watch it. I was worried that I'd have to watch it, but because I heard almost nobody talking about it, mm-hmm. I kind of assume like it could just fall off my radar. Like by comparison, there are no big ideas in it. There, it's not grappling <sighs> with anything. It's just like these characters have some personal relationships, and they want to like you know the good guy and the bad guy want to beat each other. And, you know, whatever, it turns out, like, yeah. I actually want to save him. I don't want to kill him. Whatever. But, like... Whatever. Yeah, the, the main villain has a Gios, the, the, like, you know, power that Lelouch has in the original. But Lelouch's power, for those who haven't seen it, in the original series is to mind control people. And that plays into the politics a lot, right? And he has, gets one, one time, right? He can only mind control someone once, so you can give him one command. Uh, the main villain, I'm, I kid you not the main villain of akito the exile's power is to make people commit suicide it's the most tuny bullshit Mm. (laughs) and it's like really really like i know you thought that sounded cool when you wrote that but you if you think about it it's completely uninteresting it has like you it takes a very good writer to make that not just be boring (laughs) so it's uh it's not very good it's a shame i was i was kind of hoping to get that that Gias buzz back with it but no you're gonna have to wait for r3 oh man i just remembered in my review i think i completely failed to talk about the fact that there's an entire episode like it, it recreates the the code Gias experience of having nonsensical comedy episodes even though it's a five episode ova oh. one episode is like halfway <laughs> taken up with the characters being kind of conned by a bunch of old con women like these old ladies who con them they do some like extortion scheme and then they have to work for them in their like gypsy camp or something. <laughs> like it's it's complete nonsense. Anyway, don't watch Akito the Exile. Well, but that's, that's unfortunate. But there is a Code Geass compilation movie coming out, so I'm you didn't really need to go watch all these things. Or this multiple movies. <laughs> yeah, they're doing like these compilation movies leading into a third season of Code Geass. So Oh yes. Yeah, where um it's called Lelouch of the Resurrection. So I feel like it's not much of a spoiler to tell people that everybody was pretty sure that Lelouch died at the end of season two. We'll see how they twist it. Yeah, they'll figure out some way to make it so he's still alive. Or maybe they'll do it like uh, Full Frontal in Gundam Unicorn, where it's like it turns out he's raised in the image of Char or something like that. He's not actually Char. I haven't watched all of Unicorn. I don't remember. I watched all of it and I don't remember any of it. (laughs) He's got the scar. I watched up to the point where they reveal that Full Frontal has the scar on his, like, the bridge of his nose or whatever on his forehead, which is, like, that is the Char thing. And so it's like, huh, maybe he is Char. I just hope that they that they definitely confirm the cart driver theory. Right, so that the guy from the cart, the what's his name, Scamp, can uh, update his blog, <laughs> the cart driver, and talk about it. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that is I think, funny, right? Like, Code Geass was such a big deal when it came out. Like, it was just such a major topic of conversation, right? Like, there's, there was a major anime blogger who named his entire blog after, like, the ambiguous last scene of Code Geass. You know, that, that better be, like, the first trailer that we got. It's just, you just know, a cart driver. On the car driver. <laughs> he, like, you know, like, you know, does the whole hat thing and a wink at the camera. It's got to be like the, uh, it's got to be like, um crank two where it picks up immediately where the, where the old one left off. 
<laughs> like, because Craig 2, right, doesn't it? It starts, like, right after he hits the ground. And then they, like, immediately rush in and get him, like, a paramedics pick him up and they revive him. So, you like, you thought he was dead at the end of the first one, but they bring him back to life immediately. It's got to be like that. Yeah, so the, what they do is they take him in one of the ambulances, and then some guy has a, a, he has a gias to resurrect anybody, but they have to keep their heart rate up past like 120 beats per minute. That's right. Well, now this is oh, just God, this. Yeah, I'm also just imagining it's like uh, it's like uh, the end of of JoJo's Part Three, where it's like he's dead, and then it turns out he was just he was just joking with Jotaro. <laughs> Yeah, just kidding, man. I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, God. I hope it's even more insane than what we're coming up with here. Yeah, it better be. It, we're, we, are, we are owed it. I don't know if Taniguchi's involved. They better get Taniguchi back. He's the guy to yeah. do it. All right. This podcast has been going on for a little long. David, got one last yeah. thing. You played this uh, Tokyo Dark game. Yeah, Tokyo Dark. It's a point-and-click adventure slash visual novel recently released uh, just last week. Oh, cool. We are topical. Excellent. Yeah, we are topical for once. Um, I had no idea what the heck this game was about until I saw a tweet about it, and I looked into it. It's uh, kickstarted in 2015, and it's just coming out now. It's got a lot of influences attached to it, so it's kind of like... Uh, feels a little bit like Blade Runnery, but it's not in the future, and it's got well. That's because this... that's because you know what else feels like Blade Runner. Um, uh, just the real world. The real world, except it's like a really bad copy of Blade Runner, which I'm pretty sure the new Blade Runner will be. Right for us, yeah. Um, but yeah, but it's like it's got this psychological horror angle too, and it's. Maybe, like, I think anytime I say psychological horror, like, the initial, like, knee-jerk reaction is to say, oh, so it's like Silent Hill. And mm. it's like, yeah, but maybe it's closer to one of Silent Hill's inspirations, which is Jacob's Ladder. It's, uh, Tokyo Dark is surprisingly kind of, it's got a lot of, a lot of, it is kind of like our, the way we see, like, anime and sort of stuff in like kind of like a superficial sort of way and you can kind of see it in the art where uh these characters they have that uh they got like that anime style drawn but it's it's like the how to draw manga sort of art style (laughs) (laughs) but it's psychological horror and there's there's like a bit of like a disconnect here where it's very brightly colored characters, but the situations they are, they get, it gets a little bit grim. Um, so the plot here is that you are a detective and you are traumatized by the death of your partner. It's killed right in front of you. And because it's a point and click adventure, it's got like these neat sequences where you have to like make like, these split decisions as like a conversations unfolding to either like uh, just keep a like a suspect talking like if they're the holding a hostage or mm. to you know like do like a good cop bad cop sort of uh take and maybe you know like maybe the situation will reward you for playing it straight for you know uh kind of like you know trying to like empathize with these uh with like the, the criminal or you know maybe it's just better off if you're just a complete hard ass and, you know, you pull out your gun and you threaten them. So 
it's got a lot going on. And um, as the game goes on, there's a bit of a supernatural sort of element to it too. So this is where kind of like things are either, <laughs> you're either, I think you're going to be split after this part where it's like, it does, it does very well with the um, just, uh, like the realistic aspects of it, but then maybe like the supernatural elements are a little bit too familiar because like you'll be going into places like the suicide forest and running into cultists and this just kind of feels a little bit familiar if you've read like anything like, you know, maybe any Haruki Murakami books or like even just like seeing like a few Japanese horror films. Like you're either going to be really into it or it's going to lose you. Mm. Um, yeah, just because I felt like it was done in a way where it's like it's kind of familiar if you've seen like any sort of uh like japanese horror or just read anything on like you know like real world incidents with cultists like you know for whatever reason i think like we're kind of drawn into the uh, sort of like scandals that are um like uh like just how there's like all these cults in japan or whatever and like you know tokyo right. is like you know there's like a cd under yeah underbelly of crime and all that and, you know when you go into hokkaido in, in uh in tokyo dark you're like it's it's japan but it's not japan mm. like evan you've been to japan so if you see some of these environments you're gonna say like well this is kind of like somebody's idea of what japan well yeah be, i was gonna ask it's not really is, what it's like this is not a japanese game it's a no 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 okay. no yeah no um but it's actually got a japanese localization hmm. which is kind of wild like it it's um published by square enix i think or rather they have like a i guess like a like a program for indie developers if they want to like publish on like a platform or something like that um but yeah like it's got all these elements that are like really well done and then just some other stuff which just feels like a little bit amateurish yeah but i think like as like an overall effort like I am not seeing the best work from these guys, but I'm definitely anticipating whatever they do after this. I mean, I'm interested. I liked the sound of the thing you were saying with the real time, you know, responding to a, you know, trying to apprehend somebody or something like that. Like that, that's my, cause yeah. I, I really like the telltale games. So I'm, I'm really hmm. big into that kind of adventure game. So. Yeah. And like, I think like I ended up like really, <laughs> I ended up getting really like into it, like even though I just had like these uh, like initial reactions at the beginning where I'm like, eh, maybe some of the stuff is like not as solid as it could be. But what I got really invested in is just in the main character, Detective Ito. And detective the detective is like, yeah, you can kind of formulate their personality by all these decisions that you take. Um, but like <laughs> just like her her like, you know, way of thinking, like, you know, it's like this mixture of she's she's got like this mixture of like kind of like this cat lady who is just like kind of a little bit like nervous or anxious or or whatever and like just all like this uh kind of like this like TV detective sort of uh personality too. Mm. Um but yeah, and like there's a bunch of endings too. And unfortunately, um half the game is just grinding all like the different endings they implement autosave for every decision that you make which is great for a first playthrough like in the first playthrough that you don't really have to like 
think about like, oh, I got to save at this spot because maybe I'll make the wrong decision. Well, it's also, it forces you to not like, you know what I mean? It, I, I, I don't like when games do that because it makes it, I mean, it makes it possible for me to be tempted by that. But also, I don't know, it, just, it bothers me when people play games like that a little bit. I get that it's just everybody play the game however you want but when people are like oh yeah in like mass effect i'll like save before every choice and then just reload and figure out how to do it again like yeah okay so this is probably like one of like the strongest points of tokyo dark where it's it clearly knows how people play visual novels which is just save before every decision but there's not even like there's not even like save files until you've beaten the game once yeah at which point you can unlock like a like uh like your actual like load game option yeah again that's what i like Um, about telltale games they make you just live with those choices and you have to make the choice in the moment and you're like i don't have enough information i don't have enough time uh this one and And you're like shit they died i didn't mean to do that and you can like really like fuck it up so like if you it's also part of that thing which kind of takes you out of a game where you're like ah you know this character's kind of a jerk off i'll just pull off my pull out my gun and threaten them (laughs) to give me the information that i want but then that's detrimental to your your uh like your professional uh like your professionality because you've got all these different attributes and some of them will like help you either interact with people or unlock like different ending so you got to keep track of you know like what kind of actions you're taking so it's pretty pretty in depth for a game that's like only 4 or 5 hours long for like mm. the first playthrough all right so yeah i might well pretty i'm interested in checking it out but i uh, probably won't cuz i have too many <laughs> things on my list <laughs> I don't expect you to. That's why I do these right. things for you, so that you don't have to check it out. All right, uh, let's let's get on to some questions from our listeners. We uh, don't have very many of them that that came Aww. in here. Most of them are from Twitter. We have an email question that we're going to bank up for a future episode, hopefully next episode. Fingers you'll crossed. you'll see why soon. So we have a question from at sign Joe B seventeen J. Are you guys going to check out Destiny 2 or not really your cup of tea? Big step up from the first game, IMO. That means in my humble, or in my opinion, there's no humble in there. He's not yeah, very humble. He's minus just, the age. Just his opinion. So, David, I assume you didn't play Destiny. I was actually applying for a job to work at Activision to help make Destiny, but then, you know, of course, obviously I didn't get the job. <laughs> I did not play Destiny. Uh, I played the, the thing that gets compared to Destiny a lot, No Man's Sky. <laughs> Oh, he's a very loyal customer, Evan. Yeah, I was not planning on playing Destiny 2, but I guess a lot of people are talking about it. Maybe I'll check it out. It's on PS4, right? I don't even own a PS4. I, again, I have too many games, so probably not, but maybe. I got that I got that <laughs> PSN subscription. I got to use it for something. At sign fun for Chew. That's Quan Chu one of the hosts of the Reanime podcast, which I was on as a guest recently. He asks, any thoughts on Moroni Kenshin coming out with a new story arc? Also, are completed at manga and anime making a comeback now? Oh, he means our old manga and anime coming back, like getting remade. So I didn't really read much of this new Kenshin thing yet. I skimmed through a little bit. I got to go back and, and check out more. I was a giant kenshin fan in high school yeah this was this was news to me huge kenshin fan dude i i used to have i mean i still have it it's somewhere in my parents house a 
Mythware Rurouni Kenshin bag with that like red artwork. It's the black messenger bag with red uh, stitched Kenshin oh. face on it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was very good. I know. A lot of people had like the, the one nerve ones about. from Ava. So I really liked Kenshin. I read the entire manga. I think I own the entire manga. Like all the Viz volumes of it. Uh, you know, was really big into the anime when it was on Tsunami. So big Kenshin fan. Have not read it yet. I skimmed through it. It doesn't look very good. I saw some of the, the art too before I skimmed it and I was like, this looks like it's drawn by a different person. But I, I think it is drawn by Watsuki, by Nobuhiro Watsuki, the original artist. But he kind of changed a lot over the course of the original manga. So I guess this is just the next stage of that. It's like he's coming back and now he's been away from it for years. And so his art style looks radically different. Like if you compare the first chapter of Rurouni Kenshin to what this new thing looks like, it looks like it was redrawn by a different person. <laughs> it's. I asked you if it looked moe, and then you were kind of uncertain and didn't respond for a few it's, seconds. It's softer and rounder and stuff than the old one. It definitely looks like a 2017 manga, uh, not like a, whatever it was, 1994 manga, whenever Kenshin came out. 97, maybe? I don't remember. But... I think you made a good point, David, when we were just talking about it a little bit in the pre-show, is it probably has something to do with maybe more digital stuff being used now. I mean, I think it's probably still drawn, you know, with ink on paper. Cause, but Yeah, because, like, it's just easy to scan stuff in. Right, but, it, but like... So the, it's just used the, to pen and paper. Like, screen tone and stuff, I think, is, is done digitally more often now. And, like, I think all that maybe gives it... It feels smoother. It doesn't have the kind of texture of the original one. And the characters look totally different. They're they're again just sort of smoother and rounder, and just they don't look like you know, Ken- everything. <laughs> everything develops towards round and cute. It looks like fan art. It looks like Kenshin fan oh. art. Oh, that's damning right there. Yeah. Anyway, I want to I want to read it. I mean, I always thought that Watsky had a really good eye for action and a very very good, particularly good tendency for the kind of classic shonen action thing where the the fight is a puzzle you know what i mean well like catherine i guess i'm i i didn't play catherine i mean it's like a classic shonen action thing jojo's is is probably the most famous one to do it it's where like you're not just gonna fight them you got to figure out how to counteract whatever ability they have right and come up with some unique way of doing it kenshin had a lot of really interesting stuff for that where he would come up with some sort of strange way of beating somebody so Looking forward to more of that. In terms of whether old manga and anime are making a comeback, uh, I wouldn't say I'm seeing a ton more than usual. Maybe a little bit. I mean, stuff like Osamatsu seems weird. I wouldn't have expected that to happen or for that to actually be a hit, right? Because that thing's like a 60s gag manga, (laughs) gag anime. The new Osamatsu-san was enormous when it came out. Right, right. So... Maybe there's a little bit more of it going on, possibly to do with, you know, Japan's aging population and stuff. But I I would be careful in just assuming that there's more of that because this is what happens when you get older, Kwan. <laughs> <It's that> you, <laughs> you basically, you, you've seen a lot of stuff and then you start to see it again because it's getting remade and that process of, this, of media being remade has been happening for decades. It's just that you didn't maybe recognize the originals, the first cycle of it that you saw. And I think that's true for basically everybody. 
So you're like, whoa, they're remaking all the stuff from my childhood. I feel like remakes are big now. And it's like, well, they remade this stuff from somebody else's childhood when you were a kid, right? <laughs> like, it's kind of just how this cycle works in the modern media environment. We're all trapped in the cycle. Yeah. You just think about how many things have gotten, like, three remakes or whatever, right? How many versions are there of, like, what's it, uh, of, like, The Thing? There's, like, three different things. <laughs> Well, there's an original thing. There's John Carpenter's right. thing. And then there was the new thing. Right. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think. There's lots of, I mean, anime's got a ton of examples, right? Like, just how many different, like, Tetsujin 28s have been made. There's three Astro Boys made, made like, 20 years apart, each one, right? Astro Boys, like, 60s, 80s, 2000s. Basically, every 10 years, every new Gundam just tries to copy first Gundam. Yeah, it's also probably true. That's what Seed did. I don't know which which other ones were like. I mean, uh, Wing also did it, I guess. <laughs> Wing is explicitly just copying from every other Gundam show. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for the questions. That's it for the show. You can email us your questions at podcast at com. You can also tweet at us. I'm at sign Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. I'm at, at, sign, <laughs> at sign QX20XX. It's late, guys. And Annie Gamers is at sign Annie Gamers. I screwed up the pronunciation of that, but we're just going to keep on moving. Follow us on Mastodon, vampfo at mastodon.social. David is 20xx at caro.ccsakura.jp. That's a decentralized social network. Check out anniegamers.com slash podcast if you want to find links to the stuff that we talked about, maybe some pictures of the stuff that we talked about. You can listen to Old Takuno Radio, our spin-off show that Ink and Jared host on Annie Gamers. I uh, think I mentioned last episode that I was on an episode of Your Friends from the Internet, Dave and Grotz's advice show, sort of part of the broader Fast Karate for the Gentleman network of stuff that, that Dave, Joel, Grotz, and company make. We talked about... Uh, burgers we talked about nazis uh it got pretty heavy advice on how to handle nazis we don't we we don't talk about those sorts of like real life things as often on the anti-gamers podcast so if you want to hear me get kind of real about politics in 2017 go check out that episode we'll link to that in the show notes you can subscribe to the anti-gamers podcast on itunes stitcher and google music please leave us reviews that is how people find the show and articles we got them at AnnieGamers.com. Most recently, my interview with A. Aoki just went up yesterday, I believe. I'm writing for Otaku USA Magazine, and I've got an upcoming article on Anime News Network, so stay tuned for that. David is writing on his blog, qx20xx.tumblr.com. I need to write something new. Yeah, you gotta gotta put something new up there. And I also need to update AnimeBurgerTime.tumblr.com, my Anime Burger-themed blog. That is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. We will be back in two weeks with another episode, or roughly two weeks. See you soon.